Good morning. Matthew chapter 13 this morning is where we're going to be looking to God's Word. So, I'm sure you know the terror of being called on in class. Right? Maybe, maybe you were you know, listening to this uh, math lesson and you weren't quite understanding it, or maybe worse, you were sitting in math and not listening to the lesson, and the teacher says something like, Sean... What is the Pythagorean theorem? And you're just like, but they can do it worse than that to you as well. They can do something like, so what is the Pythagorean theorem? John, you know, me? What? I wasn't expecting to be called on right now. I don't even remember the question because my name scared me so bad when you said it. Friends, we sit in class today, and the good news is I'm not about to call on you to answer a question unless your name is John, but the reality is that Christ is about to ask us a question in the passage that we're looking at, and so it's a moment for us to kind of sit up and pay attention and to make sure we understand what he's asking. On one level, it's a simple question. It's a yes or no question. But on another, it is, it is not easy. It's not an easy one. We're going to find a question in verse 51 of Matthew 13, but we're not going to start there. We're going to start up in verse 47 and read down through 52. So that will be our passage today. So we're in Matthew 13, and we'll begin in verse 47. God's Word. Again... The kingdom of heaven is like a a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And now our question. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Have you understood all these things? Who needs? What? What things, Lord? What is, what is he asking about right here when he asks, have you understood these things? Well, these are the parables of Christ contained in Matthew 13. And here at the very end, this is kind of his summary. He's, he's drawing them back in and a kind of a review to look back. And say, have you understood all that I've just told you before we apply this together? So I think it would be good for us to look back for a moment. Like when the teacher calls on you and you, you didn't even hear the question until your name came and then you're going, let's see if I can remember the question. Okay, yeah, I got it. So let, let's go back for a minute and, and, and consider what he's asking us. Do we understand? Well, do we understand what? So I want to look back at Matthew 13. What, what Jesus has been doing in these parables is teaching about his kingdom. Teaching about the kingdom of God. And... And so we're going we're gonna to look at the, the kind of the review here under two points. And the first is the appearance of weakness. 
the appearance of weakness. And Jesus is talking about his kingdom, and, and here's what here's when he's talking about. He's talking about the season of time, the period of time between his first coming and his second coming. So this is not a teaching about the future, about the end time when Christ returns and his kingdom comes in power. This is talking about the time between the times, between the time he came and inaugurated, brought his kingdom, and the time when he comes back and, and completes it. All right, so this is the time period he's talking about, the time when the kingdom of heaven is on earth and the kingdom of earth is on earth. The kingdom of the enemy is also on the earth. So these are the days from the New Testament, through the Roman Empire, through the Middle Ages, through the Renaissance, through modernism and postmodernism, and right now, these are the days he's talking about. What chapter 13 is about is a biblical worldview of everything of the world. This is Christ giving us the kind of overview of history between his first and second coming. And what he reveals about his kingdom is that it's coming, but it has the appearance of weakness. Judged by human eyes, judged by even our measure, our feeling of success, it will not appear particularly valuable. It will not seem powerful, nor important, nor even effective. So consider with me back to the parable of the sower. He introduces it in verse 1. He explains it in verses 18 and following. The sower goes out to sow, right? And he's he's sharing the gospel. He's he's scattering gospel seed around so that that those folks can can hear and to respond. So he he scatters this gospel seed, and do you know what most of it does? Nothing. Nothing. Some of it falls on hard hearts where the enemy steals it away before it can take root. Some falls on, on hearts that are so consumed with the cares of this world that those very cares choke out the seed before it can sprout and be fruitful. Some of the seed falls on other hearts that seem to receive it, but then when the, the sun of persecution and difficulty comes out, it burns it up. And again, it is fruitless. Consider that sower. Three quarters of the seed he threw out did nothing. The labor and the effort and the work and the sense of futility to what he is about. And only a small portion, that which falls on the good soil, yields the fruit at all. What's the worldview implication of this. What does this mean? It, it means that from a, from a human perspective and from what we're after, which I would say when you're sharing the gospel, what you're after is somebody coming to Christ. Sharing the gospel doesn't always work. We know that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, and we know that Christ has called us to be sowers and to proclaim the gospel. And there is there is a wonderful obedience in being faithful to that. But what Jesus is trying to help us see is what things are going to look like to us 
and it's not going to look very effective sometimes. It's not going to feel very effective sometimes. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but it does not produce salvation in everyone who hears it. In fact, it doesn't always produce fruit. It doesn't usually produce fruit, according to this parable. Christians, we need to grasp this so that we don't get discouraged in gospel work. So that we don't have this kind of perception of success upon success and growth upon growth, conversion upon conversion. We long for those things. We pray for those things and let us labor for those things. But our expectations need to be biblically informed and resting clearly on God's word. Much gospel labor happens without fruit. And the the point of the parable is actually to say, and that's not your fault. It's not the fault of the sower. It's not that you didn't know the answer to every question or be able to anticipate every objection. I mean, let, let's be wise. Let's be winsome in the way we seek to share the gospel. But when somebody does not respond, the, the problem is in the soil. The problem is in the soil of the sinful heart that rejects gospel seed. The reality is that the kingdom, as it goes forward, goes forward with the appearance of weakness. We see it in this parable. We see it in the next one, which is the parable of the weeds. It also is uh, introduced in verse 24 and then explained later in the chapter down in verse 36. In this one, Jesus, the, the kind of the farmer figure in the parable, goes out sowing. And he sows sons of the kingdom, children of his kingdom into the world as a kind of wheat growing in the field of the world. But right upon his heels is the enemy, sowing weeds right behind Christ. All around the wheat, weeds spring up. And uh, the angels see this, and they're confused. What do you want us to do? Do you want us to go try to pluck out those weeds right now? What should we do? Listen, friends, if the angels are confused, we might be too. It's difficult to understand when we look at the world, even when we look at the church. Because not everything that looks like wheat is wheat. And until the end of the age... When the Lord says go and the the angels come out and they they separate the wheat and they put it in the barn and they take the weeds and they bind them and they put them in the fire. Until that day, we live in this kind of confusing time where it's hard to tell one from the other. Worldview implication for us. Expect that some people who you think are Christians aren't. Expect that some who are planted right next to you in life, maybe in your family or your neighborhood or in your church, who you thought were weak, aren't. False teachers will arise. You know where they come from? Inside the church. That's where they rise. Because not all who look like believers are believers. Pastors will apostatize and turn away from Christ because not everybody who appears to call on the name of Christ truly clings to him. 
So we, we need to we need to know this and anticipate this is this is not a call to cynicism, you know. Kind of just looking at everybody with a jaundiced eye. That's not that's not, it is a call to wisdom. Let's, let's, let's judge each other with charity, friends, but, but let's be wise. Not elevating some people so high that when this pastor falls or that thing happens or this friend turns away, that, that our worldview is, is rocked. We, we should anticipate this is what it means that the weeds and the wheat grow up together until that last day. And even right here, we have a hard time telling one from the other. It's the appearance of weakness. All right, the next couple parables you can look at. Very similar ones in verse 31 and 33. One's of the mustard seed and one of the, the yeast. If you were here a few weeks ago, with all of these, you, you know, we, we talked these through, right? The mustard seed is the smallest seed in the garden. It's, it's, it's planted in and then the, the mustard tree grows, right? And yeast is it's like fine dust. You get to put into the, put into the uh, dough and, and you can't even see where it went. Do you see the picture of weakness in that? You, you put the church into the situation and you can't even see where she went. The mustard seed, is, it, it does not scream powerful world changer. You know? Oh, I lost it. It's the picture of weakness. How small the kingdom will appear in our present age. It will not be easy to see the church advance visibly. Its advances will often be hidden. Its victories unnoticed. Its successes unpublished. Meanwhile, the world has the appearance of strength. The world has the appearance of success. God's enemies will be seeming to prosper. Friends, this is a, this is a change in your worldview. Even if you know this, I would challenge you that you don't know this. Why? Because we all grow up and live in the world's superpower. And strength is strong. And being number one economically is what matters. And, and having access to good hospitals is what's important. We know what strength is and we know what it's not. I'm telling you, friends, the Lord has different values for his kingdom. And his kingdom is not of this world. So there's some worldview implications for us here. We should expect, generally speaking, that you know, social trends, how many of us have been observing social trends in our society over the last, say, five or ten years? Social trends that the church disagrees with, guess what? They're going to go forward anyway, despite the church's disagreement. The church is not the one appearing to have the power right now. We should expect to find political realities that are at times hostile to us. His kingdom is not the one visibly in power. The other one is right now. The day is coming, and we pray for that day when his kingdom comes and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, speed that day, and we work for that day. 
even right now, like salt making its way through decaying meat, right? We're working for justice. We want to see justice. We want to see the weak cared for. We want to see love going forward and care for the poor and, and all of these things. And we should work for those things. But we live at a time when the yeast has been put into the dough, but it hasn't leavened the whole loaf yet. That the mustard seed has been put in the ground, but it, it hasn't taken over the garden yet. We live at the time when the kingdom of God has not taken over in its entirety yet. The reality of the time between the times, between his first and second coming, is that his kingdom comes with the appearance of weakness. Okay, that's number one. Number two, it comes with the reality of strength. The reality of strength. So if we look back over some of the same parables we just looked at, consider again our parable of the sower, right? Our discouraged sower who goes out and three out of every four people just rejects the word outright don't receive the gospel, aren't transformed by it. But then, then someone does. And what happens to that one in verse 23? What happens in this moment? As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. A hundredfold. 60-fold, 30-fold. This is not just a little bit of fruit, uh, as much fruit as you would expect from a seed. This is bountiful and abundant and prolific fruit. When was the last time you invested some money? What rate of return did you get on your money? Did you get 5% per year? 10%? Did you invest in Tesla a year ago and do quite better than that? Not a recommendation, I'm just saying. Right? This thing is a 100% return. Wow. You know, you know, 100% return means you doubled your money. Two times. What's the, what's the gospel math? 30 times. 50 times. 100 times. Jesus doesn't use the math of addition. You know, you, 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 you scatter the seed and one person gets saved. One plus one is two. No, he uses the mass of multiplication. When that happens, it's 30, and no, 60, and then 100, because you can see the impact that this is going to have in spreading his kingdom. Friends, let's persist in the work of sowing seeds, knowing that the, the kingdom mass is behind us. And in all the appearance of weakness, there is power in the gospel transforming lives. We can consider also the parable of the weeds, right? Where where that where Christ came through and planted the weeds, and then the enemy comes through and planted the weeds, and it's so confusing, so difficult to understand what's going on. And this person just turned away from the faith, and they're leading others to do the same thing. It can be so. Discouraging, and yet, at the end of the parable, the harvest comes anyway. Here comes the harvest, and guess what? No wheat is missing. Not a thief fails to get into the barn. 
Here's, here's the end game. Here's where this is going. Everything Christ planted gets harvested and gets brought into his kingdom. And for all the confusion that seemed to reign in time, didn't affect the weeds. They continue to grow, cared, by, cared for by God himself. Or again, consider our mustard seed and leaven and yeast, such tiny things. Nearly invisible. They're illustrations of how impossible success seems and how inevitable success is. So listen, once you take some yeast and you put it into some dough, I mean, it's just a matter of time. There's nothing you could do to stop it at this point. It is going to do its work to that love. This is, a, this is a picture of the power of the kingdom of God. Though it's working invisibly, still it is working and accomplishing exactly what he wanted. And yes, we take the tiniest of seeds, this mustard seed, but once it begins to grow, its end point will be that it overshadows, overshadows the entire garden. All the political setbacks that we fear, all the social currents that we lament, all the persecution across the world that the church endures will not change the final outcome. Cannot change the final outcome because the mustard tree is going to grow and take over the garden. The yeast is going to spread and take over the dough and his kingdom is coming in full in his time. So part of the passage we read this morning was a parable we hadn't talked about yet. It was this one of the net. Did you catch that back in verse 47? Kingdom of heaven is like a net. And so you picture these fishermen, they would sometimes bring two boats near to each other out in the, the water and lower a net down in between them. And, and they'd leave the net there for some time. And over time, the fish would come and get stuck into the net. Now, th- th- there was something good and bad about that. The good thing was they would get the fish that they were out fishing with. The bad thing was uh, they couldn't really decide what would get into the net. And so you might have the fish you were looking for and an old boot that gets stuck in the net. Or the fish you were looking for and some worthless fish that you weren't looking for. And so, telling this parable that they all understood, you know, at the end of the, the time, they, they pull the net up, they take it to shore, and they start sorting what they have, the good from the bad, what they want from what they don't want. Verse 49 gives us the meaning. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out, separate the evil from the righteous, throw them into the fiery furnace, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Close of the age is the time when the net gets pulled in and that the sorting happens. Do you see the parallel between this parable? The parallel between this parable and the other parable. Don't try to say that fast. Between this one of multiple kinds of fish, the good and the bad getting cut in the net, and the pair of the wheat and the weeds growing up next to each other. And it's confusion until the harvest when things get sorted out. It's the same parable, in a, in just a little different in emphasis, but it's, it's giving us the same thing. Why does God do this? Why, why, why right now does he 
Why not draw the nets in, Lord? You draw the nets in now? This is confusing. Can, can we figure out the weed in the the weeds thing now? This is difficult. Why does God design his kingdom this way? Now, when we ask a question like that, it would be very wise and right to answer that at least in part we don't know. Because he is God. And who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And yet, part of his plan is revealed in these parables. And you can see part of it in verse 48 in the actions of the fishermen. When it came to that net, it simply says, when it was full, men drew it ashore. What is God doing in this era of human history? Why does he delay in the coming of his kingdom with power? Why does he get on with sorting the fish now? Because the net's not full. That's why. He's waiting for the net to be full. These wise fishermen understood. You don't just drop the net in at 10 o'clock in the morning and pull it out at 10.05. You wait. And the wise fisherman knows how long to wait until the net is full. And our God is wise in what he's doing. And he is waiting in the one parable for the wheat to all mature that it can be gathered into the barn. And in the other parable, for all the fish to safely be joined into the net, that he may bring them into his kingdom. He waits for this. The time to draw in the net is when the net is full. No, not sooner, not too quickly, not impatiently. So though this age, this time, this life seems to be confusing to us, and though the kingdom appears to be so weak and powerless and insignificant, here's reality in these parables. Reality of what's really going on. In the, in the place of this perception of weakness is the power of God at work. And in the place of this apparent confusion is the wisdom of God at work. He delays for his plan. He knows precisely what he is doing. We may be confused, but the Father is not confused with what he is doing. Do you know what's happening outside our doors right now? Down the street, in D.C., Dallas, Delhi, Dubai, out in the fields of the world. Do you know what's happening right now? i tell you what's happening right now. Kingdom seed is falling on good soil. And it's producing fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. That's happening right now. Kingdom wheat that was planted by the risen Christ is growing up into maturity, ready to be harvested and put into his storehouse. Kingdom yeast is spreading throughout the dough. Unseen, invisible, powerfully working the purpose of God. The kingdom tree planted by that little mustard seed is growing and growing and unstoppably growing until it actually does overshadow everything else on earth. And the kingdom nets 
plunged down into this world are filling day after day with one after the other of those whom the Lord has called unto himself. That's the worldview of Christ. May it be our worldview too as we look out upon all that's going on in our world. Okay, now we're ready to answer Jesus' question. Or at least a little more prepared when he asks it. Jesus asks, verse 51, Have you understood all these things? Now, like you're probably like me in this and going, A little bit? <laughs> Some of it? I don't think I probably have all of it, Lord. I'm encouraged by the fact that the disciples just jumped on in and said, yes. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. And then I'm really encouraged by his response because he didn't rebuke them. It wasn't a trick question. So like, no, you don't. What are you talking about? Like, you heard these once, you know? <laughs> no, he doesn't rebuke them. Their answer is enough for him. Okay, you do? All right. And here's my application for you, Seth. And that's what we get in verse 52, is the application to the entire chapter. You paid attention? You understand my kingdom? You got this worldview of what's going on? Here's what I want you to do with it. Verse 52. He said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven... Is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Were you expecting something not a parable? <laughs> At the end of the parable? Every scribe trained for the kingdom. These are the disciples. Right? He's just asked, do you understand all of this about my kingdom? They said yes. And now he calls them scribes. We could say students if we wanted. Students trained up, taking notes as they go through, hearing the words of Christ, digesting them, treasuring them, believing them, trained up in the kingdom of God. That's the the disciples who are the scribes trained for that's you and me. Trained for the kingdom by the very words of Christ. Okay, so what are the scribes to do? What are they like? Well, it says... They are like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. All right, so, you know, a master of the house. Think of it like this. You're going to host a party at your house. All right? And let's make it a lavish party. Think of Middle Eastern wedding kind of thing, right? It might be days long, you know? Or a graduation party at your home. So you've got all these guests coming, and, and what, do you, what do you do as they arrive? You know, they're coming for food and for fun, for celebration, for fellowship, for drinks, for enjoyment. So what is it, the responsibility of the host? Well, the host brings out what they've prepared for this. They bring out chairs and tables and linens and tablecloths and they get drinks on the table and appetizers and salad and food and then and then they clear off and oh there's there's more. There's now there's desserts and, and there's coffee afterwards and they bring out what they've stored 
and to give it to the guy. This is what disciples are to do. We're trained in the kingdom so that we can take and put it into our treasure and then at the right time take it out and give it away. This is what we're called to do as scribes trained in the kingdom, to be like that hospitable person that shares what they've been given. The scribe, the learner, is to be a teacher. So what Jesus is saying, do you understand these things? Then share these things. Have you received these things? Then give these things. Have you dwelt on the words of Christ and, and made them your own and made them your treasure? Then bring out of your treasure that which is good and that which is old and give it to those who need to hear. Don't wait till you understand everything about the kingdom because chances are good you'll never start talking. But rather, what you do understand, teach. And what you have grasped, share. And what you've been given, give in return. And this is a call to make disciples. The whole chapter is a call to make disciples in an age that we sort of understand because we've gotten a biblical worldview of what's going on. And we know what Christ is about. He's given us himself. And according to the the words in Matthew 13, he says, the pearl of great price, the treasure found in the field. He's given us himself. And friend, that's for you. He's given himself for you, that you may have him. But friend, it's not just for you. We're not the end of the story. We're one who, having received Christ, turns to share Christ with those around us. Pass on the treasure that we've received. Christ is ours. But he's ours for others. Ours to share. So friends, may this be true about Mercy Hill. May we be a community of fishermen laboring on the nets together seeking to make Christ known together, laboring that his, his name and his glory would be made known even in the apparent, weak, apparent weakness of his kingdom right now, that he may be glorified and that his kingdom would continue to advance through us. Let's pray. Father, the problem with all of this, I trust at this point, is not so much our understanding but our obedience. Though we confess where we've been reluctant to put our hand to the plow or to work the net to be about what you've called us to be about. Forgive us, Lord. Would you grant us your spirit to transform us so that we would be those who, who think with kingdom mindset, see this world through the prism of your word that you've given us, so that we would be motivated by the reality of the harvest which is coming. Whereas we read twice this morning, those that don't know you will be, will be cast away to the place where there is weeping and gnashing of peace. Or may this reality be real to us, that we would be motivated by compassion for our friends and colleagues and neighbors and by passion for your glory. As you transform us, we pray, and as you do this for your glory. 
to us, your church. In Jesus' name, amen.